Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Father. Thank you all for coming out tonight. My name is Nicole Chalbany, and I am truly humbled and grateful to have this opportunity to be here with you. I'd like to share tonight some of my stories and experiences where through a relationship nurtured by prayer, I've been able to discern God's voice and recognize his constant presence in my life. My husband, Joe, and I have been members of St. Joe's since 2012, the same year that our son was born. We're not originally from this area. I myself grew up in north central Wisconsin, the land of cheese and beer. And my parents raised me and my brother in the Lutheran faith. And I began learning about the love of God at an early age. One of the first memories that I can recall is sitting across from my mom as she flipped through homemade flashcards. There were a number of words that she wanted me to recognize on sight, but the name of Jesus was at the top of the list. I can still remember that moment when I first recognized his name written in bright red ink on the back of one of those index cards. I'm so thankful that my mom made learning about Jesus a priority in my childhood. My parents took us to church every Sunday, and I loved being there. The music, the people, the juice of donuts afterwards. <laughs> I liked church. I loved experiencing various church services as well. All of our extended family lived about four hours away, but when we'd visit, we'd get an education in how other Christians worshipped. Though I was very young, I can recall one visit when my great-grandma took me to Catholic Mass with her. She wanted me to know that the bread and the wine out there, that was Jesus. I admired her faith and her fortitude. My grandma would take us to her Assembly of God Church when we visited. And I remember feeling the presence of God there, with arms raised up singing praise and worship songs hearing others speak in tongues, and getting a sense of just how great God is. After one of our visits, I came home with a cassette tape of children's praise and worship songs, and I would listen to those songs over and over again, dancing and twirling as I made my bed and tied it up. As a child, that's how I most often pray to God, through joyful action. Prayer was a physical experience. One afternoon when I was probably no more than six years old, I was playing alone near our home, and I must have just recently heard the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem and the crowds covering the road before him with palm branches because I began to pluck the leaves from the bushes near our front door, and I gathered together heaping handfuls, and I lovingly scattered them on the ground. 
creating a path that led from our driveway all the way up to our front door. I wanted Jesus to live with us, to come into our home. And I wanted to show him how much I loved him by making his walkway beautiful. It felt like he was really there with me, walking the path that I had adorned for him. Throughout my childhood, I trusted that he would be with me. All I had to do was call upon him. And there were nights when I would have trouble sleeping, shadows in my dark room would fill my imagination with terrifying things. I vividly recall one night when I was filled with fear and in need of comfort. Lying in my bed, I placed my right hand next to my pillow, palm facing upward, and I prayed for Jesus to please just hold my hand as I fell asleep. And within moments, a feeling of peace and God's presence just washed over me. Have you ever felt that? I was so comforted and enveloped in God's love that the next thing I knew, it was morning. While I still do pray through joyful action, singing, painting, dancing, offering up the everyday chores. My prayer life has matured as I've grown. Throughout adolescence and my young adult years, I often experienced prayer as a conversation. I found journaling about my daily thoughts and feelings and experiences to be very fruitful. It proved to be an emotional and creative outlet as well as a method for prayer. Near the end of many of my journal entries, I would write to God. Or I would move from first person to second person point of view, and I would write down advice to myself. In this way, I was sharing my life with God, and God was communicating with me. God would use verses or lessons I'd learned about Him long ago and pull them forward in my mind. And when I would write down the words that God was bringing to the surface of my stream of consciousness, it sometimes looked like a letter between me and the Lord. Often this time of journaling left me feeling refreshed, renewed, and inspired, like having a great conversation with an old best friend. And over time, this conversation between me and God became more frequent. And I recognized that little voice in the back of my mind, or the random memory that just would pop into my thoughts out of the clear blue, as God communicating with me, even when I wasn't journaling. And I would talk to the Lord throughout the day, sending up short, often silent prayers as they were laid on my heart. The more I participated in this prayerful conversation, the easier it became to discern God's voice. Have you ever recognized God speaking to you? I recall the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 27. And Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I guess it's like how you can hear someone calling to the crowd and know that it's your dad even though you can't see him. After years of growing up around him, you recognize your dad's voice anywhere. 
possibly because I've been given the opportunity to build a relationship with God from an early age. To talk with him through various forms of prayer, I was able to recognize his voice, his quiet whispers, embedded in my conscience. And as I entered into those turbulent 20-something years, I experienced the presence of God guiding me through the difficult, big decisions. When I went off to college, I immediately declared elementary education as my major. I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. My mom's a teacher, my aunt's a teacher, I love school and kids, no brainer. But during that very first semester, to fulfill part of my general education requirements, I took an introduction to social work class. And I fell in love with the idea of being a social worker. While attempting to discern my true vocation and God's will for my life, I wrestled with all of the unknowns. Education seemed like a safe bet, but I came to realize that I cared more about the social and emotional well-being of children than I did academics. And I felt pulled towards social work. So, three months into my college career, I changed my major. And my parents were furious. They suggested I change my major back to education. They insisted. They pleaded. They demanded. And during an incredibly heated discussion, I wavered and thought maybe joint majoring in social work would be a terrible mistake. So I relented and told my parents that I'd become a teacher. And later that evening, my mom found me crying in the basement, still longing to study social work. So seeing this, she softened and admitted that it was my life and my choice and gave me her blessing to go into social work if that is what I truly desired. Trouble was, I had no idea what I really wanted or which choice would be best. The only thing I knew was that my heart was saying social work. Amongst all the confusion and turmoil, I heard the quiet voice of God in the back of my mind reassuringly saying, whatever you choose, I'll get you where you need to go. And suddenly the weight was lifted off of me. I was free to pursue my passion without fear of a certain doom. God was in charge. He would direct my path. And I could take either fork in this road and end up right where I needed to be. Spoiler alert. God was right. I have social work as my major, and I can't imagine a better life than the one I have right now. God definitely got me right where I needed to be. But that doesn't mean that I never strayed from this path. While in college, I often fell into doubt and a mistaken belief that I was in charge of making my own destiny. I had a life plan and I had to make it happen. I wanted to meet and date my future husband in college, get married soon after graduation, and start a family. 
and the timeline was crucial, or so I was convinced. So when sophomore year college rolled around, and I wasn't in a long-term relationship yet, I started getting anxious. I had to find the one fast. We needed to date for at least a couple of years before we got married, and we were getting married soon. <laughs> so when I met up with an old classmate over Thanksgiving break, and he told me that he had liked me for years, I was sold. I was ready to start this long-term relationship so that I'd have someone to marry after graduation day. But on our first date, the quiet voice of God in the back of my mind said, this is not my choice for you. And I responded with the thought, that's fine, that's fine. This is my choice, got it. And I dated that man for two years before I finally realized, spoiler alert, God was right. And here's some helpful advice. If God tells you that something isn't his choice for you, Steer clear. Just trust that what God has planned for you is always better than what you can choose for yourself. So, I broke it off with that boyfriend, and I tried to get back on God's path for me. I graduated with my Bachelor of Social Work degree and moved to Dubuque in the fall of 2006. I joined AmeriCorps, often described as the Domestic Peace Corps, and I dedicated a year of, to full-time volunteer service. And it was during that year that I met and fell in love with Joe. Introduced by mutual friends, we spent hours chatting on that first fall night. He was wearing a shirt just covered in handwritten jokes and funny pictures. Turns out that the week before, he had dressed up as a dry erase board for Halloween and encouraged his friends to just scrawl all over this t-shirt. I believed he had a sense of humor. He had recently returned from a semester abroad in London, and I was impressed by his traveling tales. But the clencher came when he opened up his wallet and pulled out a picture of his nieces, thus proving to me that he was a family man. I was caught. Hook, line, and sinker. We went on our first date two days after we met, and we both knew from the beginning that this was something special. We had been together a month and a half when Joe graduated from Lawrence College and moved to Cedar Rapids. We would be maintaining a long-distance relationship for the next year and a half until I moved to the area to get my master's in school counseling from the University of Iowa. And during those challenging months of really getting to know one another and being miles apart, we would find ourselves in a fight every now and then. And it was during one of these arguments when I started to ask myself if Joe really was the one for me. I mean, he's pretty great, but I wonder if maybe there was someone even more perfect out there for me. And if there may be a better match out there for me, why am I staying here trying to work this out? I could just leave, just break it off with him, and walk out the door. And 
And it was then that the quiet voice of God in the back of my mind said, you can, but I've got nothing better for you. <laughs> this time I listened. Reassured that Joe really was God's best match for me, I stuck it up. And through those challenging times, we grew stronger and closer, and we got engaged in May of 2008. Once we were engaged, we realized that we had some serious issues that needed to be discussed. And at the top of that list was religion. With Joe being a cradle Catholic and me being active in my ELCA Lutheran faith, we had always just agreed to disagree and accompanied one another when going to church. Often, I would go to Mass with him, he would come to the service with me, doubling up on the same Sunday. And while that worked for us, we recognized that it probably wouldn't work for our future family. Joe insisted that we would raise any children we might have in the Catholic faith. I dug in my heels and protested with everything I had. I had some serious issues with the Catholic Church. I had bought into a lot of the typical anti-Catholic stereotypes. And I even blamed the Catholic Church when one of my best friends who grew up Catholic became an atheist. Joe and I would have heated discussions for hours on end, and I'd lay out all of my doubts and questions about the Catholic faith. And this being the first time that he'd ever really been asked to explain or defend his faith, he was at a loss for words. He couldn't give me the answers I was searching for. To me, that was all the more reason why he should convert and join the Lutheran Church. After all, I was the churchy one. Certainly, God was on my side. I had compromised on so many other issues. This was one issue I decided I would not budge on. It was time for him to let me win one. The debate and the argument of our religion continued through our first year of engagement. And on a summer night of 2009, about a year before our wedding date, I found myself preparing dinner alone. I was standing over the skillet, spatula in hand, just thinking about everyday things. Suddenly, my thoughts just stopped. It felt like breaking news interrupting the regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> and then I heard a voice. A voice unlike anything I've ever heard. It wasn't an external voice that I heard with my ears, but rather a voice that was not my own inside of me. And though it was within me, it sounded nothing like my usual internal dialogue. This voice was strong, certain, calm, and kind. With clear, distinct words, it stated, You will become Catholic. 
and just as abruptly as it had appeared, it vanished, and my thoughts went back online. I threw down my spatula, cocked my head up at the sky, and incredulously shouted, what? I spent the rest of my night pacing back and forth, telling God just why I thought he was totally wrong. You'd think I would have learned by now to just accept that maybe he might know a thing or two that I don't. But apparently I had forgotten. So, instead of taking these prophetic words of guidance with awe and reverence, I responded to God like an insolent child. I tantrumed that night, and I tried to make sense of it all in the morning. God gave me some time to let it all soak in before he sent a letter. At the end of the summer, I opened a piece of mail addressed to me from St. Jude's Catholic Church in Cedar Rapids, where Joe was a member. And the letter inside said something like, Hey, noticed you're Catholic. Just want to let you know that we're starting RCIA soon if you'd like to join the church. And a few days later, I found myself driving over to St. Joe's, or St. Jude's, to sign up for RCIA. God really does know what he's doing. By going through RCIA with Joe as my sponsor, we were both able to find the answers for the questions that had plagued us. And not only did we both grow closer to God, but we grew closer to one another. Blessed by discovering the richness and fullness of the Catholic faith, I happily joined the church during the Easter Vigil Mass in 2010. And we got married at St. Jude's three months later. I am now so very grateful to call myself a Catholic and to share this faith with my husband and our young son. There are so many blessings that God has given me through our Catholic Church. His body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. A true community of friends. And the opportunity to learn and grow and serve and a beautiful faith tradition. A deep, rich faith tradition that celebrates the wondrous glory of Christ and teaches us to offer up our sufferings to Him on the cross. It was about a year and a half ago that I discovered we were pregnant with our second child. And we didn't wait the socially recommended 12 weeks to share news with family and friends. We were excited that God had blessed us with another beautiful life to add to our family. And the first trimester seemed to be going along as expected. I was exhausted and nauseous. All good sense. I had no complications. No indication that there is anything to worry about when I went in alone for the standard 12-week appointment, leaving Joe at home for some. My vitals looked good, my blood work was normal, my doctor and I chatted about the joy this baby would bring, and what my son thought about becoming a big brother. 
I lay back on the examining table, and my doctor searched for the baby's heartbeat, but all we heard was scratchy white noise. The doctor assured me that the baby was probably fine, but suggested an ultrasound just to see the heartbeat on the big screen. I almost declined and went home. I was so sure that it would be a waste of our money. Ultrasounds were expensive with our new healthcare policy, and I was really sure that everything was fine. But my curiosity kept me in the waiting room, and I liked the idea of taking home a picture of our little one for my husband to see. They called my name, and I was soon reclining next to an ultrasound machine. And as soon as the picture of my little baby went up on the screen, I knew it. I knew that we couldn't find the baby's heartbeat because there was none to be found. Realizing that this was probably the last time I'd ever see our second baby, I fixed my eyes and on the screen. I could clearly identify the baby's head and body. Just six weeks ago, our baby looked like a blinking little piece of rice, but now I could easily see the familiar form The technician noted that the baby was measuring around 10 weeks of age, meaning that our little one had been gone for nearly two weeks already. I began to cry, though my mind felt completely disconnected from my body. They walked me to an exam room where my doctor, the same sweet man who just 15 short minutes ago was excitedly chatting with me about this beautiful new baby on the way, came in and laid out my options. With empathy, he explained that I could wait for my body to miscarry naturally, or I could have the products of conception removed through a procedure called the DNC. I was overwhelmed and devastated. Yet, it is through this loss that by the grace of God, I have gained some valuable insights and perspectives. I'm happy to share those with you today. Perhaps the most overarching lesson I learned was to appreciate what you have when you have it, because this world is temporary. I began to realize how much I had taken for granted. My life, my family, the little baby growing inside me, I had accepted them as constants. But when my eyes were opened and I saw all that I valued and loved as temporary here in this physical realm, I was filled with the spirit of immediacy. I have been given this moment. I can use it to love with everything I have, or I can waste it. I'm not promised anything more, and I know that I've already been given far more than I ever could have deserved. I try not to spend my moments worrying about what might change or cease to be, but to entrust all that I love to Jesus and to find joy in what I have right now. Which leads me to my second insight. Celebrate life no matter how small. When I first realized that our baby was no longer alive, 
I was upset with myself for telling so many people that I was pregnant. I had disregarded the social norms I had been taught about pregnancy, and now I had to pay. But as we reached out to the friends and the family we had told, asking them for their prayers, I realized that it was a blessing that so many people do. It was comforting to have so many people praying for us and supporting us through the loss. Had we kept this little life only to ourselves, we would have likely shouldered the grief on our own as well. Not only did we have many praying for us, but we had friends who came over to lend an ear, to share their stories, to bring us dinner, to offer a helpful book. And I thank God for their comfort. So if you find yourself expecting, I urge you to share that little life that God has given to you. Tell the people you love and the people who love you. Tell the people who will pray for you and your baby. The people who will be a source of strength and support through the ups and downs. The way I see it, if we believe that life really begins at conception, and I do, we should celebrate that life from the moment that we recognize it's there. The baby may live nine short weeks or 90 years. No one knows but God. What I do know is that that tiny little baby in your womb is a blessing, not a socially mandated secret. We need to create a culture of celebrating life from the moment of conception. Currently, our society's culture is of two contradictory minds. This truth hit me head on when my doctor changed the word baby to products of conception during that fateful 12-week appointment. I came to realize that our culture lets the unborn in our rooms be identified by the desires of those around them. If I hope for that little life inside me to grow and thrive and be held in my arms, it is most definitely a baby. But if I don't wish to speak of it, if its presence brings me troubled heart, the term can be easily altered. Wanted, you are a baby. Unwanted, you are an embryo, a fetus, the products of consumption. Cold clinical terms that seem to dehumanize. I came to realize there's a lot in me. And it didn't feel right to refer to our lost child as simply baby number two. I wanted to give our child a name. Not knowing the sex of the baby, I began to search for gender-neutral names with significant meanings. And we decided to name our second baby Lil, meaning belonging to God. By doing so, I feel like we gave more dignity to that little human life as well as made it possible for us to pray for and address our baby by name. And I thank God for the practice of praying for the dead, as well as asking those in heaven to pray for us. I know that the bond between me and my unborn child in heaven is real and present. God blessed us again just this past May with another baby in my womb. And again, we share the news with friends and family and church members. 
And again, I felt tired and sick and had no complications or indication that anything was wrong. And again, at the 12-week appointment, we discovered that our baby had no heartbeat. It appeared from the baby's size and estimated age that the baby had just recently passed away. My heart sank. I had convinced myself that the first miscarriage was a fluke, a tragedy not likely to be repeated. I was stunned that we had lost our third child in the exact same way as we had lost our second. We told our friends and family again, asking for more prayers. And we named the baby Avi, meaning God is my father. And despite the initial sadness and shock, I felt and continue to feel an overwhelming sense of peace and comfort as the days and months go by. The only explanation I have for this is that we are being held up in prayer and God is surrounding us in his love. From time to time, when I find myself questioning or mourning, God brings forward the verse from Romans 8.28, and I am reminded and reassured that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And when I start to worry that maybe we'll never have more children, Romans 12.12 reminds me to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. I find incredible comfort praying the rosary and talking to the Blessed Virgin Mary, or Mama Mary, as my son and I affectionately call the mother of God. Figure that a mother is a good person to talk to in times like these. And the more I pray the rosary, the more my eyes are opened to the awesomeness and majesty of her son. We recently started praying the rosary together as a family before bedtime, lighting a candle and sitting together in its pale light. I treasure these secret moments of family prayer. And I find joy and beauty in old-time hymns that have sweet spiritual truth dripping from every verse. I've heard it been said that when you sing, you pray twice. And I can attest that mindfully singing a hymn is a powerful experience. An old hymn that I find especially wonderful is What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Take a listen to the first few lyrics. Thank you. 
anytime, anywhere, bringing anything to him. For he is our brother, our savior. Is Jesus calling out to you tonight? Is there something you long to carry to him in prayer? I pray that God blesses you and that you are given ears to hear his voice, eyes to see him all around you, and a heart that loves and trusts him. May you be able to discern his whispers of love and guidance. <clears throat>